0: The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with Audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one month, no commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash Audible for further details.
1: Hello, I'm John Plunkett, and welcome to a festive edition of Media Talk. It's a Christmas special, or if you will, an end of the year review show when we look back on the media highs and lows of the year. Think of it as a deluxe five-live sporting panel game, but without the football and with more women. We've even got a special sound effect... That's next year's budget gone. Well, a big welcome to our guests, uh, Ollie Mann and Helen Zaltzman of the Sonia Award winning podcast, Answer Me This. Hello. Hi. The Guardian's head of media and technology, Dan Saber.
0: Yes. Hello. And it's
1: the queen of all things small screen, the Guardian's TV editor, Vicky Frost.
0: Hello.
1: Well, welcome to you all. And in five seconds, if you will, your festive highlights coming up, Dan? Oh, I don't know. Turkey? No, I don't eat turkey. That'll do.
2: Five seconds up. <laughs> Ollie? Uh, waiting for Christmas Day to be over so I can get onto Boxing Day. Got Everything's it. good
1: from then. A charming thought. Uh, Helen?
0: I'm going to the panto this very afternoon, John.
1: With Patsy Kensett,
3: I yeah.
0: hear.
1: Yeah. All the excitement and Vicky pantoing.
0: I am having a Christmas party on Christmas Eve with tiny trifles.
1: What, the wrapper? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, let's ease ourselves. We started on a high, so let's let's keep that energy going. Let's ease ourselves gently into our review of all things media 2011. With that's right, it's that gong again. It's the TV. <laughs> Take Is it the seriously, sound please. Meant
0: to be of us laughing. Uh,
1: that'll do as well. Yes, it's a TV program of the year, Vicky.
0: I'm going to be entirely predictable I'm afraid and I feel like I'm slightly employed only to say these words but <laughs> for me it is The Killing. Um, BBC4's Danish crime drama we had se- seasons one and two of it this year. It's a double um, winner. It is a double winner. I-, I think the second series perhaps a little less so than the first although I know lots of people still have to catch up so I won't spoiler it. For Any other Killing here. fans here?
2: You know, if you're not, not there for the first episode, you feel like you can never mm. get into something like that. But obviously it's the box set, isn't it? I'm waiting for a month, maybe when I've had some minor injury, and I can sit and watch The Killing from beginning to end.
0: You are 30 hours behind now. <laughs> 30 hours.
1: Dan, did you spend 30 hours watching The Killing? No, I, I haven't watched
4: it, but Christmas is coming and I've got my fingers crossed like a small boy.
1: So what's your TV show the year?
4: Well, I thought about this, and I realised all I seem to watch is is American television. Uh, uh, So Treme would be my show of the year, I think, Ah. although I adore 30 Rock, uh, and I spend an awful lot lot of time watching DVDs, Arrested Development and Breaking Bad, but neither of them are this year's shows, but I seem to be just binging on American TV whenever I get the chance.
1: Because Tremé didn't get as good a reception as The Wire. Critics weren't so keen.
4: It would be pretty hard for Tremé to be as good as The Wire, frankly. However, you know what, as the the sort of series have rolled on, and it seems to be sort of perpetually on a loop at Sky Atlantic, or one series seems to be going into another, it's really grown on me, and just because it's not, in a way, a sophisticated crime drama, but actually just a sort of drama of everyday life in New Orleans, albeit post the storm, as they call it, it doesn't mean it's not captivating, and the the narrative of the individual characters not interesting. It's wonderful. And then, Finally, there's the music, just blissful, wonderful music.
1: Helen, were you Sky Atlanticing this year?
3: I, I'm afraid I just have Freeview, so I won't get to see Series 5 of Mad Men, which is very annoying to me. But uh, my programme of the year was possibly uh, the BBC's documentary about Queen. Uh, oh to yeah, mar- that 20, was a good one. 20 years since Freddie Mercury's death, and it was a real tearjerker, but also the, the surviving members just seemed like really good eggs and very affectionate towards Freddie and watching it you just think wow they really had a lot of hits I know objectively they had a lot of hits but there are dozens of hits
1: and that was a BBC4 show is that right
2: Or am yeah, I totally wrong yeah I think so I think it was rescreened on two though wasn't it because it was very popular I, I found out from watching that that we are the champions was recorded on my road where I live
3: oh that's wow. pretty exciting
2: now every time I pass that building I feel like I live in in the hard rock cafe Ollie, what was your programme of the year?
4: Uh, I want to know what road it is you live on first. Uh, I deliberately is it Abbey didn't road? say that, Dan, yeah. being
2: on a public forum, just in case there's Media Talk super fans that might stalk me. <laughs> we, we won't
1: ask for your house number. Uh,
2: my TV highlight of the year, also quite predictable, really, and it wasn't as good as last year, but I do think Downton Abbey, just because it was really nice to have a drama... that On nato- ITV, sorry. On oh, no, ITV, indeed, that was a national conversation. And, uh, you know, I know that the chattering classes maybe over the last few years have talked about, I don't know, shameless or queer as folk or whatever, but it's not the same as having something that, you know, 13 million people are watching. Even though I'd sit there slagging it off and indeed looking at the Guardian blog slagging it off at the same time, (laughs) uh, I enjoyed that. And uh, I missed it when it finished.
0: But it it, it was rubbish, though. <laughs> it wasn't
2: rubbish. It was, it was <laughs> slightly, slightly disappointing.
0: But Matthew's tingle. I think Matthew's that tingle was, was the moment for me <laughs> that Downton just turned completely into Acorn Antiques and there was... No real way back for me. I mean, obviously, I watched it all, as she says. That's the thing. And the Christmas special is very much back on form. Oh, is it all oh, good? Very much back Ooh. on form. It's excellent, although it is two hours long and it doesn't start till nine o'clock on Christmas Day. And I don't know about you, but I have never reach 9 o'clock on Christmas Day without being in a drunken stupor. So how people will get to 11 o'clock I'm not quite sure.
2: But it's amazing to think that actually, just because of that one show and its popularity, this might be the year when ITV1 beats BBC1 at Christmas. I mean, that Mm. seems completely implausible,
1: even two years ago, does not it? Well, check in on the Media Guardian website on the 26th of December, no doubt, to find out if that's correct. Well, it's time for our next category, and time to hit this thing again. That's right, it's the gong for Innovation of the Year. Dan, what was your gizmo, your gadget? It says here, what was the new kid on the block in 2011 that will be hanging out with the Backstreet Boys in 2012? I'm glad I read that out.
4: I, I, no, you did very well. I, I sort of felt like this is the, rather, rather drearily. I felt this is the year that sort of, that Twitter really became mainstream. And that coupled with the kind of impact of of, of live blogging has sort of made made for a change. Uh, so it's not an innovation in terms of being a, a physical thing, but, but what I felt was sort of true about this year is that this is the year where the intensity of news changed so we've seen this phenomenon i think the big news story is getting bigger and sort of earthquake treatment and journalism in print for some years but now we're just sort of seeing it becoming this kind of sort of a major news event is sort of rolling 24 7 sort of social media tv news live blog experience and and so each one comes with incredible intensity and then goes very quickly. And whether it's the death of Osama bin Laden or the London run of riots or, 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 or phone hacking or any number of stories this year, the death of Colonel Gaddafi. It just sort of it feels to me that all these things are coming together and, and with a real force. And what's underpinning that is Twitter and maybe the live blog. So it's kind of two innovations that didn't even happen this year, but they came to maturity this year.
1: And Ollie, I think, uh, you know, Twitter hasn't made newspapers redundant or indeed sort of 10 o'clock news bulletins redundant because you still need that sort of forum for, for context and analysis, which Twitter doesn't provide. Yeah, well,
2: I mean, that's very much the party line here, isn't it? That's what they're saying The Guardian is now, more about analysis and kind of thinking more deeply than you can in 140 characters. But yeah, Dan's right. I mean, I saw a tweet today that Richard Bacon had retweeted from someone, I'm afraid I can't remember who it was, saying that now it seems like the newspaper's are publishing uh, match reports on a cricket match that everyone watch live on the telly. That's what it feels like. Uh, you know, you, you, you see the news on Twitter, and then the next day you get the punditry in the paper. You don't go there for your news anymore.
3: Well, and yet, most people still aren't on Twitter. Yep,
2: that's true as well.
3: Maybe they don't want current affairs, they want slightly old affairs.
2: The thing is, it's because it's so involving the media. It's like when a story happens in Islington or Finsbury Park, and there's a lot more coverage of it because that's where everyone lives. It's a bit like
3: everyone lives, it's where, where you live.
2: No, but it's where a lot of people who work in the media live, and local issues there will get more of a prominence than other places. And in the same way, things that happen on Twitter, kind of, it's a self perpetuating thing. It's a, yeah. a lot of people talking to each other to an extent. That 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 is true.
4: Well, Ollie, you're right, of course, and and the printed newspaper will be loved by a lot of people who, who aren't in that sort of immediate media thing. But nevertheless, if you look at the whole sort of super injunctions ferrari, and I mean, the people just with, with great delight spent whole chunk's time on Twitter sort of naming Ryan Giggs again and again. And we saw all these, you know, all these other people who were sort of, you know, uh, who, other people who took out injunctions and were named again on Twitter. So people sort of, I think, really found this as a sort of tool, if you like, to sort of have fun with and, and communicate with in a way that papers couldn't use.
1: Vicky, what was your uh, innovation of the year?
0: Um, well this is a bit ridiculous because I don't actually own one but I am. This is an going appeal. To- <laughs> no 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 no. no. But, um, the Christmas, <laughs> yeah. Please <laughs> could I have a Kindle and um, I'm just saying that because I think this Christmas it feels like this might be the Christmas where Kindle really happens. Lots of people get them for Christmas. Their sales are very good in the run up to Christmas and maybe this is a year when e-books start to feel like something you might actually get rather than something that other people get I am quite proudly not an early adopter I'm quite a lazy adopter I like someone else to do all the testing for me and tell me it's good and then I will buy it And I'm thinking I might get a Kindle for my detective fiction that I don't particularly want to keep on shelves at home. So if I'm thinking that, I think probably other people are as well.
1: Any Kindle owners here? Yeah, I've got one,
2: uh, which I was actually sent for free. (laughs) But it is great. And you're right, now is the tipping point. Now is the time where it is the iPhone 4S of e-readers, if you like. It's absolutely at the generation now where the price point is, right, £89. Yeah. It's not touchscreen, that's the thing. People reach into it and they want to touch it, which you can't do. But actually, you don't need to. They've got it exactly right now. It's kind of intuitive and the battery lasts forever. And, yeah, it's, it is pretty good.
1: I've got a Kindle. I've read half a book on it since Father's Day. Let's turn our attention to the biggest and most important inquiry of the year. Not the one to establish who invited Nuts and Zoo to nominate the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year, but the Leveson Inquiry into the Culture, Practice and Ethics of the Press. Dan, let's start with you first. Who or what has been the most memorable moment of the inquiry so far?
4: Oh, Paul McMullen by a country mile. (laughs) He's the man who said privacy is for pedos and and sort of summed up a sort of Sunday tabloid credo if taken to its ultimate extreme. You know, there is no privacy. There should be no regulation. There isn't much morality other than what I can get away with really. He talked joyfully about how he managed to sort of unmask or defrock, I don't know, a spanking vicar by sort of, you know, disguising as a rent boy with his friend who was also disguised as a rent boy, and caught the man mid-spank, and then they ran off through the nunnery in their underpants at night. And, I mean, he sort of told these stories with such great gaiety that one, one, one couldn't help but be captivated. It was our most read live blog in Leveson, actually, and it was that halfway through, I sort of said on Twitter, stop all work now, watch watch Paul McMullen and, you know, they should sell that one on pay-per-view.
3: May I say, there is a great online video compilation of the best Paul McMullen moments of the Leveson Inquiry. So if you don't have time to wade through all of them, you can get a good hit in four minutes.
1: Oli, do you think he's going to sort of be forever now the sort of public face of the tabloid journalist? Yes, and I think that's... What's upset people who
2: work for tabloids who don't feel that he represents them? But uh, yes, <laughs> I think in the public imagination, he's exactly the panto villain uh, that everyone expects Rupert Murdoch has under his armpit.
1: But there was a, there was a late contender, uh, Helen, for, for most memorable moment, I think just well, yesterday.
3: I, I think maybe there are some memorable moments happening at the time of, that we're recording this. So we can't see them because Piers Morgan is up and uh, he didn't say anything particularly interesting in his uh, first spell yesterday. But I think just people will enjoy watching him squirm. For a while, because he's sort of safely in his nest in America, and now he's been brought back and he's had to stop being mealy-mouthed.
1: And Dan, how long? How much more Leveson is there to come? Months and months, yeah.
4: Oh yes, there's months and months of this. I think uh, they've got four. They've got four modules in part one. I mean, I think they used a um, few modules to get to the moon and uh, <laughs> we've got and i can't even remember what the fourth one is properly sort of the press and celebs and then there's a the press and police and that doesn't start to oh, war mid-february and then there's the press and politicians and we might get david cameron and i don't know tony blair and nick leg might come i don't know and that's after that and then there's another one which probably must be about regulation i mean i i mean it feels like we've sort of got a kind of standing standing committee here that's going to run well into the early summer
3: are you going to be a bit sick of it
4: we are enjoying every minute of it the guardian i couldn't couldn't possibly say <laughs> otherwise look i I think it's going to be pretty wearing and i think people who don't want leveson to happen are, will, will be given a um, cannonball if you like to to, to to sort of shoot at the inquiry just saying this is going on too long and we're all bored of it but if they're going to do it properly they've got to take witnesses and they've got to take decent witnesses so that's got to run
1: okay well next up and i think i forgot to do this last time so apologies for fans of this uh, particular sound effect that's right it's newspaper of the year vicky over to you
0: I'm going to nominate the I for this actually I know in a year where there has been some very crusading journalism it perhaps seems a slightly odd thing to do but I think it's great I think it does what it does very well I think it's gaining readers readers who maybe don't buy a newspaper and it's ingraining that habit and I like it it's a good read it's very well done.
1: The eye. It's my favourite uh, newspaper of my in-laws, which uh, always always makes any meeting with them sort of get off on a, on a on a bright note. Whenever I meet them,
2: Helen. That's good. My grandmother reads the Express. Oh, really well so it, just, it could be worse. I just well, you know, I love my grandmother, but every time I walk in her house, it just makes me hate her a bit. So you're you're lucky to have those (laughs)
1: in-laws I like to add up the amount of time it takes to read The Independent And divide it by the cover price And then then do the same with the I And the I overtook The Independent sometime in mid-August Did it? Yeah, so good news
3: Well, there's only 20 pence though and everyone loves a bargain
1: They do, they do Well, that's it You can subscribe to it for about £3.50 for an entire year's worth, I think
3: Although talking about the free sheets I don't know whether it's just that the standards of the other newspapers have dropped of so the free sheets don't look as bad in comparison, but I find them a lot more tolerable than I did maybe two or three years ago, the Standard and the Metro. That's
1: a hugely controversial suggestion.
3: I know. I'm, I'm being very bold. Or maybe they have got better.
4: I think the Standard, by the way, has had a great year and is actually enjoying a great run under Geordie. Um, my newspaper of the year, surprisingly, I don't know, is the Daily Mail. It's got all the news there. It, it's got great coverage of everything from sort of telly to politics. It's... You know, you know what it thinks, but it sort of it takes no prisoners, and it doesn't sort of bow. It doesn't bow to anybody. It doesn't respect anybody, and it sort of goes through with a certain brio, or if you like, or viciousness, if you don't. And I've had a runner-up. I think that the Telegraph is producing quite an impressive news package every day, it's sort of pages and pages of lots of short news stories. And if you just want sort of raw news, but not a lot of analysis. Then, then, and then, I think that the Telegraph is growing on me very much this year.
2: Can I just be the man who says on the Guardian podcast that the Guardian has had a very good year, and you're all being very nice and self-deprecating? But obviously, uh, the phone hacking stuff—I know it's been—you know—some elements of it have had slightly a cloud over them in the last week or so, but nonetheless, I think if you zoom out enough, that is the big story, isn't it, of the year? And it is to the Guardian, I guess, what MPs' expenses was to the Telegraph. Yeah, I think for that reason, I'd have to say the Guardian.
1: Well, on that note, next up. That's right. It's uh, in a slightly eclectic mix, and uh, some might say random list of awards here. It's Radio Programme or Presenter of the Year, or if you really must, Radio Executive of the Year. Ollie, let's start with you on this one. Uh, radio Presenter, I don't think he's the
2: best presenter on the radio, but I think it's been a surprise, is Ian Dale on LBC, who's on from 7.15 till 10 at night. And it's a surprise because, A, he wasn't a broadcaster before, apart from doing the kind of things I do, newspaper reviews and stuff like this, but he never had his own show – and he's a good host, really relaxed, laid back, but on top of it, and obviously his audience really like him.
1: Made his name as a blogger, of course.
2: Exactly. But secondly, it's really interesting as an innovation, because from that time, 7.15 till, well, the last hour's a bit of fluff, actually, but let's say from 7.15 to 9, he does do a news-based phone-in that isn't shock jock stuff at the time when Radio 4 is messing about with arts and drama, and Five Live's usually got sport on. So actually, it's made LBC a bit of a destination, if I'm in the mood, to hear some news analysis. And I think he's really, really good at it. And for laughs, I'd say Rod Gilbert, who's on BBC Wales, that has replaced the Adam and Joe show as the BBC podcast that I only listen to as a podcast because obviously in this case I don't live in Wales. The
1: joy of the digital era. You can listen to BBC Wales anywhere you like. (laughs) Um, Helen, when you're not listening to BBC Wales, what are you tuning into?
3: I think my presenter of the year is Kirsty Young and I know that she's been in the same job for years but her qualities as an interviewer on Desert Island Discs were really brought home to me when they released 500 of the old Desert Island Discs in March as a podcast. And listening to the ones with Sue Lawley she is not putting the effort in. Very ill-informed in a lot of them, or very, very flirtatious, and you don't find out nearly as much about the people. So I've, I've come to appreciate Kirsty
0: Young's technique very much. Vicky? Before Radio 4 uh, starts messing around with art, I Outrageously do love front row. I do, but it's just not messing around news, that's all. with arts and drama in the evening, PM, uh, Eddie May. I don't mind saying I'm a bit in love with Eddie Mare. he is just so, so good on PM, And PM has been excellent this year. It just gets better and better. And his personality is so part of that show. And he drives it brilliantly. He is just fantastic. If I wasn't at work, I would listen to it every day. And sometimes I do, even though I am at work.
1: Well, I'm going to make you hugely jealous. I sat next to Eddie Merritt at an awards two once. Was he nice? Awful, terrible man. No, he was a very, very. Char- <laughs> <laughs> he was charming and uh, fantastic company. A great man. Yeah, I think it was PM. I sat next to him. Yeah, I think it was yeah after midday. Uh, Dan, <laughs> Dan, what was your radio program of the year?
4: Uh, I absolutely, I absolutely adore Eddie Mayer, and,
1: and agree we should that, have him on, shouldn't okay. we? This is an invite to Eddie to come on, please. Eddie,
4: please come on and tell us how to do it, and then we can all be a little embarrassed. I am really enjoying Robbie Savage on Five Live, and just think that he really adds something to the Six O Six and the phone ins and all the sort and all the football stuff they do. I love his force of personality. He has such credibility, obviously, because of his playing credentials, but he has a real ability to sort of have a, a rapport with listeners, but also to do so not in a shouty way. You know, it, 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 he brings something. It's just sort of, you know, just different kind of tone to broadcasting. And I like my Five Live on a Saturday afternoon. Often prefer, rather listen to the radio than watch the sporting event, which makes me a bit odd. And, and I think Robbie Savage is the man to talk about for the moment.
1: And now next up, in the spirit of a Merry Christmas... Who or what was your biggest disappointment of 2011? Now, Helen, I don't think we've started with you, so I think. Uh, oh, thank you. That's, we come that was to my you.
3: biggest disappointment, of course. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. <laughs> but now it's now it's over. I was quite hoping that in the final edition of the News of the World, they would they would say, "Well, we've been working on these uh, scoops for ages. You can just have them all. <laughs> Clean the coffers. We'll say this outrageous stuff because we're we're closing down anyway. Why not?" Uh, And they didn't. What a waste of time. I think there have also been some pretty horrible redesigns of massive websites like Gmail and the BBC and YouTube. There's too much space. I find them aesthetically displeasing. They also look quite retro, like a child has got some transfer letters and put them on a page and there's too much room. And also the third series of Glee, it looked like it was going to be better than the previous series of Glee. And it is just... I think it's just lost everybody. Everyone's like, "Where is where is the fun?" And also quite sharply written stuff of the first series. God, this what has it gained me,
2: Helen. So sorry, <laughs> I'm back for the third series. I didn't like the second series. Oh dear, it's a bit sugary. You have to do it in bursts. I can do about one a month. This is Glee, not uh, the YouTube redesign. Yeah, yeah. Or, or News of the World scandals, <laughs> right? Which yes. I, I do miss having one a month. <laughs> <laughs> There's a
1: lot of disappointments you packed in there. I suppose. It's, I hope been it's not been a terrible, terrible year, Helen. Year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Vicky, Vicky, what you got? What what got you blue?
0: I am very very disappointed with people who get cross with Jeremy Clarkson. It's just ridiculous. Jeremy Clarkson makes people cross even though everyone knows he's just a wind-up merchant. See how cross I'm getting with people being cross with Jeremy Clarkson. People need to stop doing that in 2012. Stop having Jeremy Clarkson controversies or frankly I'll I'll just get so furious that I will eclipse everyone else's Jeremy Clarkson fury. <laughs>
1: Dan, do you think if we ignore Jeremy Clarkson he might get away maybe that's the idea I doubt that
4: very much <laughs> I think we'll carry on watching Top Gear I, I, I think it's very noble of you Vicky but getting cross about Jeremy Clarkson is a national sport it's part of what you know keeps us going you know, you keeps either, the Daily Mail going or, but it
0: shouldn't it's so tiresome him. so tiresome it's like oh no not a Jeremy Clarkson story rolling round it's tiresome but next you'll we'll be getting next you'll we'll be getting bored of people not liking
1: Piers Morgan or something I mean this
3: is just <laughs> I could never get what, tired of that <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dan, Dan what, what about you? What was the low point of your two thousand eleven
4: well let 's not intrude on private grief, but, but why don 't we just instead say uh, I was dead disappointed with the x factor and i 'll tell you who was particularly disappointed with the x factor gary barlow i was I was disappointed by the x factor because it never quite it never quite got going. It never got talked about in the way it had done in previous years. You know the acts just worked quite good enough, and the whole package just never quite lifted off it was it was not to say it was bad but it was just average and we don't want the X Factor to do average and I was disappointed with Gary I think because I just wanted I just missed Simon Cowell I'm sorry it's terrible I confess it uh, uh, and I just wanted someone to be edgier sharper and grittier on the show and I was looking for Gary to do that and he just ended up being too saccharine and just
0: yeah he's a fun vacuum he's like you know <laughs> a he's Fun like, vacuum. he's like a black hole of despair <laughs> everything's too exciting for him. He just wants things to be unbelievably boring. It's kind of like, no, no, slow it down. Do it more slowly, more sadly, more glumly, wear black, you know. He had nice suits, but, I mean, I think that was really as much as he had going for him.
2: You, you do forget that he was a man that rose to prominence by rolling around on the floor having jelly rubs into his ass, don't you? <laughs> so are we X Factor, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think I'm so. Gary Barlow, yeah. Roughly,
1: something like that. <laughs>
2: Can I do my disappointment? Uh, My disappointment, I wanted to say this, was 10 o'clock live on Channel 4. Mm. Not because it was bad, and it wasn't even as bad as people said that it was, Just that it should have been excellent.
3: Less than the sum of its parts.
2: Yeah. Uh, And it's so important now that we have a show like that. I mean, the Daily Show in America is brilliant. We should have a show like that. There's no reason we can't have a show like that. We have the writing talent. We have people that are funny. Channel 4 is the right place to put it. All of those people individually seem like the right people to do it as well. So I'm glad that it's coming back for a second series, but I just think it should have been so much better. That should be the show that people like me want to go home and see, and it never became that.
0: It was frustrating, wasn't it? Because there were so many things that were wrong with it, so obviously wrong with it, before it even went on air and should have been picked up straight away. You know, where's your woman, apart from Lauren trying to hold everything together, where's your woman who's actually, you know, Funny, yeah. And I mean, I like Lauren, role. but she's
2: not a comedian, and yeah. there's lots of female comedians. Where were they? Who exactly. Would you get Maybe, or They're, I mean, um, there's so is many female. comedians. all
0: going to be great, wouldn't she? Yeah, there yeah, are Rebecca endless lists of people. So.
2: Um, Helen awesome. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm here, Channel Four. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think putting it on opposite Question Time was also just a bit crazy. You were always going to lose part of your audience over to Question Time, unless you were brilliant. And the hype around it was just madness before it even started.
4: But they, and they also made the terrible mistake of trying to do serious bits for which those presenters were all terribly ill equipped. And if they did want to do, you know, if they did want to get some politician in and put them on the spot, then David Mitchell was just the wrong guy to do it. He does, he, you know, he, he did some fabulous monologues, as did Jimmy Carr at the top of the show, and Charlie Booker's sort of. TV review of the week was wonderful, but the rest of it all flopped. And I think as soon as anything serious came on, you just wanted to curl up and die.
2: And also the audience were all kissing their bums as well. They were all obviously left-leaning, partisan David Mitchell fans. And that made those interviews a bit redundant, because anything he'd say, they'd whoop and cheer. And you actually wanted a more balanced debate like you get on Question Time, I think, even within the context of comedy.
4: It might have actually worked with with somebody actually just an out-and-out serious interviewer chucked in the mix with some, with some comedians which I'm sure was the sort of you know the, the formula of some of these shows back in the day and it just sort of this balance just oh. Maybe.
2: but they might get it right they might get the second series right it, uh, that, mm. that happened with Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle this year I think first series bit hit and miss those sketches didn't work second series really good so yeah, yeah. hopefully okay
1: well it's time for our next round and boy is it a biggie uh, Time magazine made the protester their person of the year but who would you have made your person of the year Dan. Well, sort of, the protester again. I mean, the, the story of the
4: year in media was the damage that was done to the Burdock Empire, if you like, by the phone hacking star- saga, and those extraordinary three weeks in July in which it seemed like you know people re- were resigning by the hour and government inquiries being announced by the minute. And the sort of all-consuming emo- emotion of that time. I mean, I think... <sighs> My trouble is, if I go down this road for much longer, I end up having to say that the sort of hero of the year is somebody like Nick Davies for the investigative journalism he did in that story, and I sort of... I probably That is probably what I think to be the case, but uh, rather seems rather sort of self-serving and Guardian-like to do it, so I sort of offer it rather humbly.
2: Uh, in media terms, I think uh, the person of the year is probably Mark Stone on Sky News. Before, he went out with his iPhone in Clapham and filmed people rioting, and quite courageously went up to them and asked them... Uh, if they were enjoying what they're doing, and was it fun, and why were they doing it, by himself. I'd never heard of him. I was sort of vaguely aware of him as a kind of Skybot pretty boy who would get wheeled out to do, you know, uh, uninteresting uh, political stories. But then suddenly he became a sort of star reporter. Probably not to the man in the street who would still probably talk about Kay Burley or whatever, but I think to people in the media, suddenly Mark Stone feels like a real star on, on Sky News, and I thought that was... Uh, just very compelling viewing. I mean, I was scared <laughs> watching at home, watching it, but it was really compelling
1: stuff. Helen, your person of the year.
3: Uh, I'm going to take a frivolous option, John, rather than saying hey, well, Steve. Oh, why not? Well, exactly. Otherwise, people are just going to say Steve Jobs or Pippa Middleton or something terrible like that. I'm going to say Steve Coogan <laughs> because he was absolutely incredible opposite Paul McMullen on Newsnight. That was a really great scrap. But also, he's done these brilliant interviews in character as Alan Partridge to promote the Alan Partridge book. And he did The Trip. So it was the year where I thought, oh, I do like Steve Coogan again, even though I've seen the film Hamlet (laughs) 2. Oh,
1: really? You you made it to the end, yeah? It is rough. Right. Was it for a work assignment? Uh,
3: I think I had jet lag. Right,
1: right, Okay. I paid for tickets for that. You're not well. Uh, Vicky, did you see Hamlet 2?
0: No. Don't see Hamlet 2. Well, tell us instead
1: your person of the year.
0: My person of the year is the person I would most like to have been this year. That is my thought. And I am going to choose Caitlin Moran. Who has had an amazing, amazing year. Her book is fantastic. Her writing, her columns, her interviews just get better and better. She's hilarious. She's a brilliant feminist. She is like perfect Wonder Woman, I think.
1: Well, yeah, I once beat Caitlin Moran in the in a journalist version of The Weakest Link. Did Grats. you? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well if yeah. you're
0: our person of the year yeah. then, John. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>
1: Uh, Right, now it's time to guess the names in the envelope round. Uh, Who would you have as your two new presenters of ITV1's Daybreak? Helen, you're looking entirely confident.
3: This is the kind of game that Ollie and I like to play all the time. We do do this, actually. Whenever
1: someone gets fired from a
2: high-profile job, we spend at least half an hour recasting. Yeah. We we came up with about 20 alternative jobs for Fern Britain at one stage. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm expecting a hugely well-informed <laughs> pair of names here, Helen.
3: Um, I feel slightly underprepared, actually. Ollie, we should have played this game before we came in. I think Kate Garraway, just, just get her back. She cheered people up in the morning. She can do serious stuff decently as well. Or Lisa Tarbuck. I really want Lisa Tarbuck to get a permanent job somewhere on yes. telly or radio.
2: Lisa Tarbuck would be ace, actually. Especially with a younger man who she can be a bit yeah, 30 with. That would be man. an interesting dynamic, wouldn't it? I think Daybreak actually will work now. Uh, because the new editor, David Kermode, he's off live from Studio 5 and OKTV, which, you know, weren't marvellous shows, but they kind of weren't marvellous primarily because you had to slap out to Osterley to be on it as a guest. What's happening is Breakfast is moving to Salford. Daybreak is in Waterloo. You know, if you're one of the big beasts that they want on their sofa, the Russell Brands and the Stephen Fry's, and you're doing a day of promotion, you're going to (laughs) choose to go to Waterloo rather than Salford. And that means that all of that celebrity-conscious, slightly uh, low-end stuff that David's very obviously good at producing will work because they'll have the guests. And I think it will be fun. And I think BBC Breakfast will feel even more kind of uptight and official and flagship, which is what it should be, it's on the BBC, when it moves to Salford and they've got their new set and everything. So I think actually Daybreak does have an opportunity here to be just a bit more fun, which is what people want in the morning from ITV probably a lot more show-busy, and I think if they know what they're doing, they'll actually get two presenters that no one's heard of.
4: Sean Williams? I can't remember if she's uh, actually re-signed with the Beeb or not. There's some talk about her going, we miss her. Sort of serious, serious uh, older face and voice, but but at the same time, you know, able to kind of carry some of the lighter stuff too. And I think, you know, I think what they did with Daybreak was they sort of just took people who weren't adjusted to be awake at breakfast and were just sort of took people with sort of high... High wattage and high celebrity, and that's not what the ITV view wanted. They wanted something sort of something they knew, something they felt comfortable with.
1: Vicky, who do you think should be on the uh, Daybreak sofa?
0: Anton Deck.
1: Anton Deck. Do you Ant think Ant they could Deck. be the names in the envelope? <laughs>
0: well, I don't think they'll be the names in the envelope, but I think they would actually be good and they would make Daybreak good. I mean, they wouldn't want to do it, obviously, but ITV should force them a bit because. <laughs> they
1: could do it for a week.
0: Yeah, Just it to- would, you know. I mean, I don't really know what it would be like, but I think it might be good in the
1: jungle or, or in the, on the on the sofa.
0: On the sofa, but right. you could have added pot plants for atmosphere.
1: Yeah, might yeah.
3: be a bit big breakfasty. And there hasn't been a show like that in the mornings since the Big Breakfast wrapped up. No, well, I mean, I
2: think that's the exact problem with with Daybreak. Actually, it, it, it had a mix that was too biased towards doing serious news when people wanted. Something fun, so I guess I disagree with you, Dan. I think they should just embrace the big breakfast type. I think they should have Louis Spence doing showbiz. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that's an alternative to what the BBC do. Because everyone wants James to wake Corn, up by yeah.
3: stabbing themselves in the brain with a pencil.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what TBAM used to be. No, but, it used to be Russell Grant and fun. You know, no,
3: but it's, ha- it, it, <laughs> you,
4: it, it's house what? It's sort of that kind of house, I say, housewives. That sort of women. The strength of GMTV. I'm going to get killed here, probably rightly so. But the, 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 you know, the, the strength of the old format was it had a really strong appeal to women, you know, slightly older women at a certain age and certain demographic and they didn't and that was a strong bit of telephone
0: women of a certain age and certain demographic aren't brain dead though they can you know no i know i, mean, I don't know I take that, take that point. Well, would be good maybe in
3: five years if their career is going a bit on the slide as they reach 40 that would be the time to get them
1: it's when they start losing their hair it's very hard to imagine yeah, them all out. over yeah yeah well <laughs> let's have a look and see if there were the names in the envelope um I'm in no way ripping a sheet of A4 paper in half because I forgot to bring the envelope. And the names in the envelope are, in fact, Jeremy Clarkson and Liz Jones. So uh,
3: <laughs> that was the
1: point of the brand That got slightly lost in the middle there. But uh, anyway, so... Are you so, sure you don't want Carol Thatcher? <laughs> uh, well, no, I didn't think. Like, she's the first guest. Uh, what, Toby Young. Toby. All right, you've had your say. Sorry. <laughs> right. Come on. I, you know. So anyway, no points there, but we're not actually awarding points, so that's okay. And finally, we have saved the best till last. Hard to believe I know. It is... Time to get your crystal balls out and give me your media predictions for 2012. And I should remind you, just in case you're taking this less than seriously, that we're going to print out your forecasts or perhaps we can record them. I don't know how we'd do that. And put them in a time capsule in the Guardian Garden to be unearthed (laughs) this time next year. That's unless some footballers trash it, of course. Where does the mystery drumstick point to? Uh, Vicky.
0: I think, perhaps a bit hopefully, but I think this might be the year that reality, structured reality shows, that broadcasters realise they are not going to change the face of television. Since Only
1: Way Is Essex are Made in Chelsea and Desperate Scouse Wives.
0: And and, and all the rest that are on their way, yes. I I think broadcasters think this is sort of like a whole new genre of TV, and I don't think they are. I think people just actually liked the people off The Only Way Is Essex, and they don't actually just want to watch loads of reality programmes of posh people or Liverpudlian people or ex-whatever you know, kind of people half doing real things and half doing things that they're being told to do, um, I think it might fizzle.
1: Well, amen to that. Helen?
3: Here's cast iron one. Everyone is going to slug off the Olympic opening ceremony and say that Britain can't do pageantry well enough.
1: Even with another 40 million quid. Yeah. <laughs>
3: exactly. And uh, presumably there is going to be a News International Sunday tabloid again of some sort. And I think there's going to be a lot of talk of how Facebook is on the decline. And really, I think it will just be based on statistics that it's saturated. You know, it's got half the world signed up. Almost, well, not really, but nearly a billion people. And um, naturally, that is going to look like it's easing off. But actually, it's just as many people want to be on it as are on it now.
2: Yeah, also, that's the story people will want to print after they have what will clearly be the biggest ever IPO of a tech company. The, the press will then want to report. But, oh, but they're losing, you know.
3: Yeah, obviously, members. I did love the story this year that MySpace sold for 35 million when it was bought for 580 million five years ago. That made me laugh in a horrible Chardonnay for eight years. <laughs>
1: Dan, what are your thoughts for 2012? Apart from the, a lot more Leveson, of course.
4: Everything will get faster, and um, we'll have to do it all for less money. I think the first three months of the year is going to be tough because the economy is tough and that means advertising will be tough and media will feel a bit bleak but we've got the Olympics as discussed and once we get past the opening ceremony if Usain Bolt can not full start and uh, we might have a sort of, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have a sort of a real athletic and moral and hopefully even economic lift. And so I think the, if we could get through the first half, then, then then I think the second half of the year might at least feel, you know, feel a bit brighter. Or let's hope so, because if it isn't, oh, flipping heck, we can't go through another year of sort of the tough economic conditions we've had, I think, and the impact on media. So you know, I'm hoping for better things and I'm hoping it's going to start on the 100 metre starting line somewhere in Stratford and East London and sort of somehow blast through to the rest of the year.
1: Ollie, tell us how we're going to get through the first half of 2012 as we, as we look to end on an upbeat note. <laughs> no pressure.
2: Uh, I don't know about the first half, but definitely I think by this time next year, some new tech company that we haven't heard of yet will have come along and owned the space of location-based social apps in the way that Facebook is the social network and Twitter is now, as Dan was saying, the kind of news network. I think someone will come along and do basically what Grindr's done for gay people uh, as a cruising app, Uh, But not just for people looking for casual sex, but I think people actually just looking for a social experience. No one's come along to do that yet. Facebook don't really seem to be putting money into that area.
3: Foursquare and stuff. Foursquare
2: hasn't really taken off in this country, and I think it's not for us. I think it's for 16 and 17-year-olds with their smartphones that are all getting free 3GSs now. But those 16 and 17-year-olds would probably like to talk to each other on the bus Using some location based app. And I, it might be Scout, I don't know, but I think someone's gonna come along and own that.
4: Grind has gone straight as well. You know that, don't
2: you? Yeah, but it's got, unfortunately it's <laughs> got this
1: association it. with quite dirty encounters. I think someone's got to come along with a fresh brand that doesn't just mean sex. And you say it will be aimed at sixteen, seventeen year olds, but perhaps someone could also, you know, someone out there could launch one for, you know, thirty somethings, forty somethings to want to bring you into my demographic there.
2: People who are older will say, Oh, there's nothing wrong with going into a bar and talking to people face to face. I think you've got to get a generation who don't have the social skills to talk
1: to each other face-to-face because they're always on BPM. I think the most popular will be, I'm on the sofa. (laughs) Uh, Yes, well, on that note, thanks very much to Ollie Mann, Dan Saber, Helen Zaltzman and Vicky Frost. The producer was Ian Chambers and I'm John Plunkett. Thanks for listening and happy holidays!
0: The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audio book titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.